Hey friends, and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's in the trenches with us, constantly working in our mess. Guys, this podcast exists very simply because we all need a little backup. We all could use a fresh breath of truth and encouragement as we dare to live out our own beautifully complex lives. We all need a place to come as we are and have the good news of the gospel repeated to us over and over again, because too often we forget. Well, I'm Jen Jewell, the host of this Conversation Style podcast, which airs a brand new episode every other Tuesday. We're partnered with my church, Life Church, and our sister's ministry, as well as the brave women from all over the place who willingly offer their powerful stories so that we can remember what matters most. Obviously, we love our church, but even more than that, we are all about the capital C Church, the global body of Christ. Guys, God is moving and working in every big space and tiny corner all over the world. So no matter where you live or what you've faced in your lifetime, you are wanted and welcome here. And as a side note, if you don't already have the YouVersion Bible app downloaded to your phone, which happens to be the timeless Word of God intersecting with modern technology, you are going to want to get that. It is absolutely free and such an incredible resource. Well, have you ever stood in a crowded room just wishing you could scream at the top of your lungs? You pass by people every day at the office, the grocery store, maybe the park, or even in the school pickup line but most of them have no clue what you've actually lived through. Y'all, my guest for episode 57 isn't only the person who would stop you, look you in the eye, and genuinely want to know your story, but she's also the person who's been there. April McCloskey is a pastor's wife, girl mama, and a walking miracle who has sat at the edge of death's doorstep. She and her husband, Grant, who's a life group submissions pastor at our church, nearly lost their oldest daughter in a random turn of events. And shortly after, they faced the unexpected fight of their life when April was diagnosed with a rare and aggressive form of stage four cancer. Yet she's here right now at my table. Guys, I don't know about you, but when someone has looked death in the face and lived to tell about it, I'm coming in close with open ears. So reheat your coffee, pull up a chair, and join me as I chat with April. Hey, friend, welcome to The Messy Table. Yay! I'm so excited to be here. You're here. I know. I crossed the Tulsa Bridge to come to you. <laughs> the dreaded construction. The Where we live, there is a bridge that is under construction, and it is purgatory. Yes. Basically. Yeah, basically. Like, you don't want to come see friends because you know it's going to take you, like, an extra 10 minutes of your life, basically. Well, and I feel like right after school drop-off, Ooh, for 30. me, yeah. it's so much longer than that, so I've just avoided it. Right. Yeah. But Starbucks is on my side of the bridge. (laughs) And so I brought you Starbucks from my side of the bridge, clear over to your side of the bridge to the Bessie table. I know you did. And we both were saying that we're wearing hard pants today. Yeah. So it's a good day. It's a Monday and it's a good day. No kids. And we're both wearing jeans. Yes. (laughs) So fancy. (laughs) Very fancy. All right. Well, everyone is going to want to know all about you. So if you would, just give us a little peek behind the scenes into your world. Yeah. Well, my name is April McCloskey, and I'm a pretty simple girl. I was um, born in Nebraska, 
And now I'm living in Oklahoma. So that's kind of a sin in its own manner because I was raised as a Husker and I'm living in sooner, <laughs> like boomer sooner land right oh, now. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, I say oh, this, you. this is cowboy nation, right. my cowboy friend. nation, right. So I was born just in a really small town. And like when I say small, like a hundred people. And so wow. my little known fact is that I was top 10 in my high school class. Look at you. Right. Top Be 10 out of how many? 10. <laughs> right. And so it sounds so good on a resume though. It does. Yeah. So my whole family still lives there. They're really awesome, hardworking farmers. And mm-hmm. my dad and my brother farm together. And um, I loved growing up on the farm, but always just wanted to meet more people, more mm-hmm. people. And so I um, started going to youth group in another town and I'm still close with a lot of those friends and then took the big leap to go to college in Kansas City. Um, so you went from corn mm-hmm. to... Right. To wheat. To wheat. Yeah. yeah there you basically. Go. Yeah. Side note. Yeah. Last year when we launched the Omaha, Nebraska campus, Mm -hmm. my husband was kind of driving back and forth. And at some point he got a speeding ticket. Right. And he blamed the corn. You should. Like, I think he said that to the police officer. Mm -hmm. Maybe he didn't. But he's like, there's just so much corn. I don't know. And the police officer was like, you still get a ticket. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was like 140 bucks. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. Actually, on the road, we were just laughing on I-80 from like Nebraska to Kansas, there is a billboard of Jesus like holding wheat. Wow. Right. So I don't know what that means, but I mean, it's godly. He is the bread of life. Right. (laughs) In that voice. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I went to college in Kansas City and I just fell in love with the city and people. And like to this day, I just are some of my best friends are from college Mm -hmm. and beyond. But I'm a connector. So I still like just celebrated my 40th birthday with like my best friend from birth came to Tulsa Mm -hmm. um, from the farm and just love community. And so that's always been a big part of my life. And you tell people who are going to Kansas City like myself, (sighs) you give us great tips. Kansas City is awesome. Where to go? I what know. to do? Kansas City is my home away from home, away from home now. <laughs> and it's such a fun city because there's just so many different pockets of the city that are really like up and becoming. So that's really fun. So yeah, I was like, go try this barbecue. You need to try that. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. yeah. So my husband and I um, met in college. It was a small um, Christian college and we didn't date in college because he needed to like kind of grow up and you know, he's, he's, he's Grant McCloskey. Anybody that knows Grant just loves him and also knows that makes sense. Right. He needed to grow up. Mm -hmm. Did he? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. He is a big boy now. Yeah, he's amazing. He's just like a super optimistic guy and um, just makes life super fun and is up for adventure. And Mm -hmm. so I married adventure. So um, that is awesome. We um, got married in Kansas City in um, the church that he interned and did ministry in when he was in college and beyond. And then we moved to Texas, loaded up our U-Haul of wedding gifts and moved to um, like the Dallas, Texas area and did our first, like our first full-time ministry and youth ministry in Texas. So that was awesome and an amazing season. Mm -hmm. And then we moved back to Kansas City. We got called by the church that married us and that was by our small college and loved it. And it was the right timing. And went back there and lived for another seven years doing youth ministry. Um, we have two girls, and they are precious. Um, they are. Taylor Marie is turning eleven this summer. Like mm. that's insane. And then Kenna is um, seven, and Kenna is like dropkick you, like ball <laughs> of spunk. And Taylor's just super sweet and. 
creative and loves art and just so you have sugar and spice sugar and spice that is Mm -hmm. yeah and everything nice so Mm -hmm. they are big blessings so yeah so here we are in Tulsa and that's part of what we'll talk about today I'm sure um but yeah I'm glad to be at the messy table yes well your family is awesome and we're Mm -hmm. like you said we'll get to it but I'm grateful you all are here and for your family and for your life so thank you like you said this is the messy table and you happen to know a little something about mess Right. It's so funny because like when we meet people, we're like, yay, we're fun, Grant and April and we like love life. And then we'll just like turn the corner and or we'll just kind of puke on you with what happened. Mm-hmm. I think our last um, seven years of, of mess that mm-hmm. was just some really, really tough stuff yeah. that we walked through. So tell I mean, us about it. I know. Let's hear. So when we moved from Texas back to Kansas City. Um, my daughter Taylor was two at the time. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I kind of mentioned we were in ministry. And so we were um, hustling and bustling. And it was a Sunday afternoon. And I remember because Grant was still at church. And Taylor had a little earache and just wasn't quite being herself. And so um, she had thrown up and we went through the whole mom um, of a toddler, mm-hmm. clean her up, give her the bath. You know, does she have a fever? Give her some Tylenol. And Grant happened to come home. And I said, I I'm cleaning the sheets. You go clean her up in the bathtub. And so he came in and he just said, um, are you thirsty? And she said, yeah. And she took a drink and she was in the bathtub. And all of a sudden, literally out of the blue, like her eyes kind of rolled back and she just locked up and froze. And we're like, oh. And so <laughs> we didn't call 911 or anything. And we just didn't understand what to do. And so we just grabbed the towel and wrapped her up and got in our car and just kind of out of a movie sped to an urgent care that was close to our house. Um, when we entered the urgent care, it was so funny because I just remember ugh, like you go in and do the paperwork and I'll bring her in because this is going to take a while and there's going to be a wait and all that. Well, when we entered, they obviously the lady at the front desk recognized that it was more urgent than we knew. And they moved us right back and she had called 911 and we were greeted by um, firemen and the EMT. What did she see that triggered that? I honestly, to this day, don't know. I just know that we were carrying Taylor in and she was still breathing at that moment, but it must've looked non-responsive enough that she knew it was more than what a small urgent care could handle. So kind of to set the stage it was not a large room that Mm -hmm. they put us in and all of a sudden we went from just you know a small earache to what in the world is going on and they put her on the on this table and all of a sudden they're kind of pushing us out of the small room and there's firemen and there's emts and they're hooking her up and it was just like chaos instantly and i'll never forget they put us in they said come with us and they put us in this other room And, um, at that time we knew, um, the fire chief of the community and he just said the words, um, your daughter is basically dead, but we're working to get her back. And it was just like, I just remember Grant hit the floor in the corner and just cried. And I, (laughs) mama bear came out and I said, you get my daughter back. And then we were just forced to like stand outside the small room and just watch them work on our tiny, just breathless daughter that oh was just born with spunk and um, such health. The picture before 
like there. So we're watching these EMTs like crushing her chest just with um, CPR and breathing for her. And then all of a sudden um, they bring her out to a gurney and she's hooked up to all these machines and they're just kind of yelling. And it was just super chaotic. And it was just me and Grant watching and out of the blue. blue. And um, they just said, all right, what do we do next? And at this point we're like, what in the world, you know? And, and they said, we need to take her downtown to children's mercy. And they're like, I don't think she'll live to children's mercy if we go there. And so they put her in a gurney and I rode in this ambulance in the back of the ambulance. And I'm not kidding. We went probably about a hundred miles per hour from that urgent care to another hospital. And they were very surprised that she lived on that route. And so we got to the other hospital and I'll never forget that all the EMTs and firemen were just there waiting with us, watching as the doctors were hooking her up to breathing machines. And they were so invested. And I think it's because they, I know now, because we have a relationship with some of them, it was very abnormal to walk into an urgent care and see a child that had basically um, just stopped living. And so they were all invested in standing there watching them, her getting hooked up. At that point, they hooked her up. And I think we were at that hospital for hours. Time is so weird when you're going through crisis like that. Mm -hmm. And then they put us in another ambulance and transported us down to Children's Mercy Hospital. What's crazy about that is when we got to Children's Mercy Hospital, um, we didn't see her for another three to four hours. And at that point, we didn't know if she had died again. (laughs) Sounds silly. Died again or what was going on. And it was the same time we learned now that Joplin tornadoes had come through. And so the ER at the Children's Mercy was literally like a scene out of a movie. Like Mm. there was just doctors running and they were life flighting kids in from the tornadoes and that and flying back and parents were showing up in the ER looking for their children. It was just um, yeah, chaos, chaos. And yet we were looking for our child and what is going on. And so we, and we finally went back to see her. She was in ICU and was completely, um, hooked up to about seven different machines and was swollen. And I just remember, um, her eyes were closed and there was just no life to her, um, at all. Um, so it was, one of those moments where you're just like, this is not my life. Like this, this isn't my daughter. Like this was not literally our life. Like that came out of nowhere. Like an out of body experience. Definitely. Yeah. So we were in ICU, the intensive care unit at Children's Mercy. Um, And it's hard to fully put the, the weight on it. But when the doctor came in the first time, that's when we started hearing what had happened and nobody really knew what Mm -hmm. had happened. They were starting to run tests, but the majority of it was just trying to get her to breathe on her own again. So they, at this point had told us she had a cardiac arrest, which does not happen in children. Wow. Um, Sometimes it happens more in older, older adults, but with children, it doesn't happen. Like, so her heart completely stopped and um, her, do they know what caused it? Right. And so I'll kind of get to that in a second because I ran so many different tests. But at this point, the doctor came in and said she was gone for 11 minutes that they worked on her. And when you look at the statistics of anything, 11 minutes is like 
every minute that you're gone is like a minute, a percentage that you're not going to live. Mm-hmm. Um, this is coming from the EMT. You're not going to live after. or you're going to have brain damage or you're going to have damage severe for sure. issues. So at that point, we were still like, she's not going to live. She's gone 11 minutes. That's 110% chance that she's not going to live. On top of that, that was 11 minutes that her brain and was without oxygen. And so when those tests came back, they said her Sarah um, Bellum and um, her speech and motor skills part of her brain was greatly affected. And there was major spots and she was not going to be the same girl if mm. she lived. So we were just blessed with some amazing, amazing prayer warriors in our life. And I just remember... A man that is a mentor of ours just say, when you don't have the words to pray, because you literally just can't pray the words, know that like I'm praying for you. Mm. And that's always stuck through some hard things that we've been through. It's just prayer. When you don't have the words to say to God, like there's other people lifting you up with Mm. words. And um it was pretty hopeless. There was a lot of times the doctors would come in and try to squeeze her foot or her hand and just get some sort of response. And there was nothing. And so that was our dark reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of us right now, all the mamas, mm-hmm. all the grandmamas, all the foster moms, mm-hmm. all the aunts and sisters, yeah. we are all putting ourselves in that situation and thinking, I mean, because the out of the blue is terrifying. Terrifying. Ugh. Yeah, we were doing graduation parties and barbecues. It was May and literally out of the blue. Um, We had a healthy child and then just lost life. So we were in ICU um, for a whole week. And then um, they decided to see if they could unhook the machines kind of at the end of the week and see if um, she could breathe on her own. And so she started making a little bit of progress between. I think it was at the point where they're like, we need to see if there is hope because they were ready to put the, um, I can't remember the name of it now, but the feeding tube in her stomach so that I could medicate and, um, just take care of her for the rest of life. And which was crazy because I, my background, I didn't mention this, but my background, I taught special ed Mm. and I knew the reality of this. Mm -hmm. I had changed kids in wheelchairs and I had, you know, fourth graders in diapers that I was um, helping with paraprofessionals. This was a big reality Mm -hmm. um, for me. You knew the, I knew the language, I knew Mm -hmm. the lingo that they were telling us. And it's one thing to have a child, you know, um, born. And I feel you grieve that maybe when they're Mm -hmm. born, with different challenges, but our Taylor wasn't that. Our Taylor was born vibrant and lively and so full of spunk mm-hmm. and spirit. Um, and to have that taken away was just such a different reality, I think. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think you're right. I think you said it well mm-hmm. that everyone grieves the loss of that dream of maybe right. what was, but I think depending on. Yeah. Maybe how someone's born or if there's a tragedy later. Yeah, definitely. So for us, it was such a shock too. And so I just remember, you know, minutes seemed like days mm-hmm. and any sort of movement was such a big deal. Like, um, so we went from ICU, like I was trying to say, um, where they unhooked the breathing machines one night. And I mean, this is a short version of it, but 
hours later, she was able to take some breaths on her own. Wow. Which was a f- like the first step to think, okay, she might live. Yeah, huge deal. Mm-hmm, huge deal. Um, to fast forward a little bit, then they kind of unhooked some of the machines slowly and we were able to go, I kind of call it a detox room. There's probably a, a better medical term for that. But we went from ICU into another room where that was the first time people could come in, really. ICU is very restrictive mm-hmm. and you can only have like two people scrubbed in at a time and on a, a list that you want in the room, um, kind of in the detox room. That's when we got flooded. I think even with another step of reality of people coming in that had known us and known Taylor came in and just saw the dark in her eyes and then they would just leave crying and you're like, Oh, this is, this is bad. This is bad. And so that's kind of how I would describe her. She, um, she was just laying in bed and her eyes were just so, dark, so lifeless, but she was alive. Hmm. How did you feel as a mom at that oh. moment? Cause obviously that spark of hope, right? Well, thank God she's still here, right? but then so much unknown, right? The longest, longest days. Yeah. I mean, we lived at the hospital mm-hmm. and, and I'm not even sure if I had clean underwear because we had just, it was such a crazy girl. I wouldn't expect for you. Right. Yeah. And so we just lived there and you're just kind of in a state of shock also. And then regrouping every time a doctor comes in. And, and so that second week in the hospital, Grant was holding Taylor and she was still hooked up to a lot of different machines. And at this point there wasn't still a lot of response. And they used to have this joke about, um, oh, did you go tutu? Like, you know, toot. And because Grant's the mature one, like that I married, remember. <laughs> and so um, he was holding her and she must have tooted, farted, if you will. Uh-huh. And so he just said, oh, did you go tutu? And she like did a smirk kind of smile. And he just started crying. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Because he was like. I may not have like my daughter back in full, but like she's still she there. understands and she has a sense of humor. <laughs> he just thought that was the coolest thing. And that was like her first part of response um, in his daddy's arms. And um, at that point, Grant was like, I'm good. If this is all we have left of our daughter, like I'm good. Mm-hmm. Well, just the fact that, you know, like somehow she comprehended mm-hmm. that joke. She was still there. It was more than a squeezed foot and a kick. Mm -hmm. It was like there was something inside Mm -hmm. her that remembered and also understood and comprehended enough to like a joke. It was so it was big Um, from that point. Then they moved us the third week in the hospital. They moved us to um, what's called kind of like a, a therapy room. And at that point, she she was moving and her eyes were open. Um, her movement was so like seizured and hard and like, um, she was twitching a lot, twitching a lot. And there's a word and I cannot think of it, but just very robotic. Like she just wasn't mm-hmm. herself. She mm-hmm. couldn't, and she wasn't in control. She was not in control of her movements. And so kind of sporadic and mm-hmm. yeah. 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 So she was still in a crib at this point and hooked up to a feeding tube and she was in a diaper. And that's, that's not the girl that we had. Like 
when I put it in perspective, she was two, but she was potty trained. She was verbal. She was talking. And here she was basically, you know, an infant again. And so in this last, this room, um, they would come in and do physical therapy and, um, motor lab with her and try to get some sort of life back with her. And I'll never forget the doctor came in and it was like probably the the second day we were in there and then he was giving us the report and he's like, all right. Um, so this is Taylor and, um, here's your traumatic brain injury book. And it was like this huge book as big as a Bible. And he just kind of handed it to us and he's like, you'll want to get her in a good special needs program because this is, this is going to be her life. And we're like, thanks. And, um, at that point, Taylor was on the floor and she like got up and like, she went over to the phone, you know, the old school, like dial up phones and like grabbed it and like pretended to be talking on the phone and then started kind of like walking slash dancing around the room, like out of nowhere. Why this doctor is giving us no, like, no, no, no. And I just remember, um, him going, okay but this is Taylor and kind of left the room. And it was like, this is when I talk about like miracles and like the power of prayer, because what we witnessed was a miracle at this point, like doctors and nurses and the people that walked through in prayer with this, this was a miracle. We went from ICU into a lifeless girl into this last room of lifeless to every day people were praying dance baby dance and walk baby walk and there was a point where taylor they were ready to put that um that tube in her stomach to feed her for the rest of the life and she pulls her feeding tube out and wants to eat food there was this time when like i said we would turn music on and she just like started to to dance when we were praying i mean it was crazy to think of the timing that she healed Basically, we saw her go from an infant to a two-year-old again. And they said, if she goes through those, those milestone steps again, but misses one, then that's probably gone. Like, cause there wasn't a lot that her, like our brains don't reroute, but if it was gone, like that piece of it was gone. So she basically relearned everything in a week. She went from lifeless to mm-hmm we had our tailor back at the end of the week. I I don't know how to explain it other than it was a miracle. Wow. The timing of that last week. So were the doctors and nurses shocked? Yes. Shocked. I, when we, and that's like a very short (laughs) synopsis. I know April, this is one of the hardest things about this podcast is that there are so many complex details Mm -hmm. over, like you said, right. And we're going to get into even more, but a Mm -hmm. seven year period of time. Right. And Mm -hmm. we're having to do a snapshot. So I just want people to know like the gravity of when we discharged all the doctors around the table were like, this was a hopeless, medically hopeless Mm -hmm. case. Children don't have cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. And she was gone 11 minutes. Mm. She should have major brain damage and we're discharging you. And we have a video of her leaving Children's Mercy Hospital, pulling a wagon out of the hospital with all of her stuffed animals. And there's a in Children's Mercy Hospital, there's a piano outside on the ground. And we have a video of her running across this piano to the car three weeks after they told us that our child was was gone. Wow. What happened to the reports of the brain scan with the spots? Right. Yeah. So we, um, we did therapy that summer 
So she did motor skills again, and that came back very quickly. Her um, her PT, her physical therapy came back quickly. Speech was the last. Mm-hmm. It was the hardest to come back. She really talked like slow. Like we have some video of her saying, mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she worked on that like over the summer. And then I remember taking her at that point, she turned three in the hospital and we have um, a picture of her holding up three and looking at this candle that we couldn't light mm-hmm. in the hospital. Cause that was against the fire code. <laughs> and she's looking so confused. Like, like what? what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which was just another amazing thing yeah. that she understood. Yeah, that like, that wasn't right. Right. But yet she shouldn't have grasped that either. And so, yeah. And so we've went through a lot of <laughs> different testing. They thought it was genetic. They thought it was this. And you've met Taylor to this day. Oh. She's 10. She's 11. Yeah. Um, Beautiful, vibrant, yeah. very articulate. Yes. Does she have any No, that's now? the crazy thing. I remember that the discharge thing. They said, well, maybe in third grade she'll not be good at math. I'm like, well, I'm not good at math. All so right. there's like that hard, there's that hard fine line of not wanting to put everything on that. Um, yes. Because, right. yeah, because who knows if she'd be good at math now or not. Yeah. But who cares? I hate math. Yeah. And it also <laughs> goes back to Grant and his perspective of this is what we have. And this is amazing. Like mm. she, if you've met Taylor today, like she, she dances, she takes dance class and she does soccer and she is super smart and beautiful and has such a heart for the Lord. I don't share this a lot, but there was a time right after she got home that she was very, very um, articulate about things that we're not taught in Sunday school about heaven. And that's a whole nother story. But just the fact that I feel like angels were with her mm-hmm. and the way she describes angels was not taught to her in Sunday school. She really talks about how their wings are open and not closed. And she was a little girl one time out of the blue and there was like a little angel ornament in our backseat of the car. And I was just talking to a friend and she goes, mommy, mommy, she had a period before at this time. She goes, their wings, their wings were open, not closed. So it's, it's crazy Mm -hmm. to think of how God's using her Mm -hmm. and how real what she encountered and what she saw was, and also just the heart and sensitivity Mm -hmm. that she has um, for others. I think because of what she's she's been through but yeah Man. to this day um she sees an endocrinologist in about once a year and takes a steroid um called hydrocortisone basically it's like a cell mutation that they've done studies and taken it to all these big big wig doctors i i don't know still she takes a hydrocortisone because her body doesn't produce cortisone her adrenal gland is what um when you get excited or sad or emotional produces cortisone and hers does not produce any cortisone. Okay. However, they don't know if that's broken because her body shut down. Okay. Or if it was before. And Um, when I look some hand in causing Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. When I look back, she was that kid that got sick, but could not bounce back very quick. So I don't know if she just used all of her cortisone, you know, over those years Mm. and just her adrenal gland just wasn't working. And then all of a sudden just boom, um, cardiac. I mean, that's so crazy, right? It's crazy. Um, but there we do, we now like stress dose, like if she's tired or if she's, you know, super sick, we'll give her more yeah. cortisone. So that's kind of how we regulate it. But other than that, it's crazy. Praise God. It's I crazy. Mean, it's a miracle. It is nothing but, I mean, an amazing miracle. And part of it is the complete healing. 
and also part of it is the timing in which God mm-hmm. healed mm-hmm. that I give complete glory to you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's so much there I know. and I know. I know we could keep talking about this, right. but I want to hold on this conversation and fast forward. What right. was it? Two years, three years. Right. So that happened in 2011 and then we recovered and kind of kept going. And then, um, it sounds like I said, like a really bad country music song. Cause we're like, okay, we're here we go again. And in 2014, um, I was not starting to feel very good. And at this point I had another baby and, um, we were supposed to fly to Colorado for a conference and I didn't feel very good. And I thought this is weird. So I called the doctor and mom's, we don't call doctors. Right. Like we don't have time power through power through. And how um, did you feel bad? I felt something in my stomach. I thought maybe I was pregnant and mm-hmm. I thought, okay, but this doesn't feel right. And, but maybe it's my appendix, you know, I don't, I'm not medical. I always say like going through these medical things, yeah. like we're kind of like doctors without the salaries now, <laughs> but we really, I've but never wanted to something be Something was wrong. Right. So I called my doctor and said, well, I can't let you get on a plane. It sounds like your appendix might rupture. So I went in and they felt my stomach and sent me right to get a scan. And from that point, um, our life went crazy crisis again. They called us the next morning and said, you have a tumor, but we think that it's benign. No problem. Just go see this doctor. Well, then you <laughs> no go see another. Yeah. That's you not go, the first right. thought that anyone would have. Exactly. And so, you, like I said, this is coming right off of, of Taylor. And it was so crazy because I remember, God, like, why would you heal all our daughter and then take her mother? Mm-hmm. Because you you found out more in yeah. the results. Mm-hmm. So they sent us to a cancer clinic and it turned out that I had a very large tumor that they um, wanted to remove and then they would find out what that meant. So basically um, in October of 2014, um, which is crazy because we I was doing camp again and I was just living life um, like a month before this. And again, out of nowhere, I have this tumor. So I go in and they say they want to remove it, but it, they think it's in my ovary and they think it's pretty large. Um, do I have permission to remove both if they find more? I'm like, Oh, sure. You know, and that decision, you just don't have time to Mm-mm. figure all that out. So basically they said, it'll be a couple hours surgery and then we'll send it off to the clinic and, and find out what, if you, what it is, they're never going to say cancer until they know. So I remember going in for the surgery and a waiting room of people were waiting and, um, the two hour surgery ended up basically being a nine hour surgery. Whoa. And so at that point, my husband and some of our closest friends are in the lobby and in my family. And they're like, you know, this isn't, this is more than just a tumor, you know, like they're not telling us everything, but at the time now it's more. And so, um, I just remember when I woke up from that really extensive surgery, I just looked at Grant and I said, I have cancer don't I? And he's like, yeah, that's another out of body experience that you just feel like this is not my life. Like this is someone else's like this kind of stuff happens to other people. Like Mm. not, not Grant and April, like this, like we're the fun, like, people, you know, and have been faithful servants and went through this with Taylor and just saw such, you know, miracles. And now I have cancer like two years later, like this does not make sense, you know? So turns out that it was stage four, 
which I didn't know anything about cancer. I'll be honest. I mean, everybody knows somebody that has had Mm -hmm. cancer and it's a horrible word, but I don't think I really understood the levels of cancer. When they came in and told me, they said I had neuroblastoma, which is a children's cancer Mm -hmm. found in children two and under. I'm like, well, that's awesome because we're really good at like medically rare stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently. Right. And that's I just remember looking at the doctors going, so I'm going to do chemo and lose my hair. And I think they just looked at me like, oh, honey, like it's this is this is bad. And so they the surgery had removed the tumor, which was about the size of a grapefruit. And then um, they removed um, about 40 lymph nodes, part of my colon. They scraped my diaphragm wall, a hysterectomy, like both ovaries were affected. There was just cancer everywhere. And so I start, I recovered from that surgery and then had to start chemo right away. Mm. And so this is the, the crazy part is when I think of chemo, I think of, oh, you go in and maybe do like two hours and go home and keep working and doing all the of your life. Um, looking back now, and I always, I always can say this to my oncologist, um, I, I didn't have wussy cancer <laughs> and right. he always like looks at me and he's like, you can't say that. I'm like, actually I can say it. You can't say that, that's but right. that's, that's what this was. It was neuroblastoma, which has never been found in an ovary, which has never been found in a person my age. Never, never. I think there might be a woman in France and it didn't end well for her. So never. So, um, my surgeon was amazing and removed as much as she could and said, I think we have everything, but there was so much more. And then she went on maternity leave and I had a new oncologist come in and he was the one that had to say, no, it's everywhere. Like it's in your lungs. It's in your stomach. It's above every place that we can operate. And if you're going to live you're going to have to jump through all of these hoops, but you're going to have to jump through these hoops perfectly. So the reality of and the like, hoops being chemo yeah. intense, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah. I think the other crazy thing that can relate so much to people's lives is not knowing like the unknown, but mm-hmm. also like knowing like that you're going to have to do something and you think you can do it if it's going to be like two rounds of chemo. But then they keep adding more, you know, like when you're in those crisis situations where you're Mm -hmm. like, well, I can do this and then I'll be over. Oh, yeah. This was like they told me I was going to have to do chemo and my chemo. um, I went in and it was the worst of the worst. It's called CHOP. So it was a cocktail of four different chemotherapies. And I would go in and it was nine to ten hours a day. Mm -hmm. And I would do that for a week. And so every I do Monday through Friday. 10 hours a day of chemo and um what were the side effects oh <laughs> right <laughs> a lot of vomiting mm-hmm. and um I lost my hair I think what I didn't understand about losing your hair is that um chemo kills like fast growing cells so everything in your hair is a fast growing cell that's why you lose your hair but your everything in your mouth and your esophagus down to your stomach is also a very fast growing cell so i couldn't swallow i had mouth sores that made my mouth look like hamburger meat um mm. i couldn't <laughs> i mean the digestive system and peeing and pooping were like a whole another a issue. whole another like i'll never take you know, like poop for granted again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So 
I was just so sick. Mm. And so I would do a week of that. And then I'd have about two weeks for my body to recover. And they said, all right, that's not strong enough. So we're going to do this chemo, but we're going to have to hospitalize you because if some of the chemo would spill, it will burn your skin. And so you're like, oh, that's awesome. So I can have this inside my body, but if it touches me or if my girls would be around it, then that would not be good. It shows you how potent and toxic it is. Like when you look at the chemo bag and it has biohazard on it and that's what they're putting inside your body. So I was hospitalized for another 75 hours and I would do um, chemo in the hospital for 75 hours straight on a different cocktail. Mm -hmm. So as a mom, Mm -hmm. as a wife, which I can only imagine Mm -hmm. those are the hardest things going through Mm -hmm. your mind, the what if, Mm -hmm. like, how did you function? Right. So Taylor was five and Kenna, our other daughter was two at the time. And I just remember one night going in and holding Taylor's hand and putting her to bed. And I just remember, you know what we're going to have in common? And she goes, what mommy? And I said, we are both going to be miracles. Mm-hmm. And I just remember that Grant, gosh, like he's a hero in the story too, because he just saw it all. And I know how he crumbled seeing Taylor code and then to see his wife go through this next. But he understood where my girls, I was fighting for them. I was fighting to see them get married and walk down the aisle. And the doctors and counselors were telling me that that was not reality. Mm. And so I just really knew that like mentally I had to stay in the moment, like in the second. There were days when I couldn't look in the past and I couldn't say, oh, well, if I would have caught this sooner. And I couldn't look in the future because Mm -hmm. it meant that my girls were going to not have their mom. And so I like literally had to like train my brain to be like, no, it is, it's this moment. It is the second and I'm alive and I'm with them. And it was, um, it was a lot of second by second, moment by moment times that like added up to days. And, um, I went through six rounds of this chemo, um, regimen. So that's six weeks of, of chemotherapy. And that was over a year and a half. And those were those perfect hoops that they were talking about. Each round was six weeks. Each round was a week. Um, and I did six weeks of chemotherapy in a year and a half. Okay. So mm-hmm. there were spaces between. Yeah. My body, it's so funny because. Has to recover. Yeah. Then. It's such a oxymoron. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, they, they break your body down mm-hmm. to literally nothing, trying to kill the cancer. And then they say recover so that you're good enough that we can kill it again mm-hmm. is basically what they're counting like white blood cells and right. red blood cells. Kills all the bad guys, but yeah. you're hoping it doesn't mm-hmm. kill the good guys too. Yes. Yeah. And so um, at this point, um, they had done bone marrow taps, which is probably one of the more painful things that I've ever been through where they kind of take an ice pick and like find your bone, like drill into your bone marrow to get some tissue to see if you have cancer in your bone marrow. At that point I did not, which was the, probably the best news that we had had. Um, because when it's in your blood and in your bone marrow, then it's, it's, um, it's hopeless per se. 
And so at that point, that was a really good bit of news that it wasn't in my bone marrow, but it was everywhere else. They had drained my lung and that was full of cancer. Um, and I was bloating, but then I was so skinny. Like my body just went through so much. So I had made it through the, the chemo and I was still um, going and I thought, okay, this is like, you're getting to the finish line. You're getting to the finish line. And they said, all right, well, we think that you need to do a stem cell <clears throat> transplant. At this point, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can do anymore, but to, to put it in really layman's terms, a stem cell transplant basically is like a big green backyard and, um, the grass is beautiful and all of a sudden a dandelion pops up. And so that's cancer. That's the weed. So they're using roundup. They're using chemotherapy to kill this weed. And it does, it kills the weed. I went into remission halfway through, which was like huge, which was like such an answer to prayer. And I thought I've made it, you know, like this is it. You're going to make it. That's the goal. That's the goal. Um, what I learned is that just means that they've killed what they can see. So what they were going to do was try to kill the roots of the cancer because there was roots of cancer in my cells that they couldn't get with the chemo. So they were going to go through and basically kill the whole backyard, all the green grass in my body (laughs) to say, kill that whole green backyard and then reseed with new baby stem cells. And then plant a new yard, hoping that there wouldn't be any more weeds. Mm-hmm. Um, to say that like all the six weeks, the, all the year and a half of chemo was hard, but I was kind of at that point, like bouncing back so well. And they were, my doctor was surprised and everything. I was like, all right, well, I can, I can do it. Like, I'm not getting cocky, but like, I can do more. We can do this. The stem cell transplant broke me. Mm-hmm. Like it broke me. My, um, we had to sign a lot of paperwork before going into it, basically saying that, um, I could die and that be prepared for that with this, um, transplant, my girls, I didn't get to see them for three months. They went and lived with grandparents because my immune system was so, um, that had to be so so hard that I couldn't be around mm-hmm. plants or air or my children. And I just remember being in the hospital, like over this like banister, just crying, knowing that like, I might not get to see them again. Like mm-hmm. this is it. And so I went into the stem cell transplant, which is a whole different area of the hospital because it is so you're so fragile. And I didn't realize that they were going to give me another round of chemo. And I remember them saying, you know, the, the chop, the chemo that you had been taking, it was probably a nine on the, on the pain scale. They do everything in numbers of the pain scale, like one to 10, you know, nine. Well, this is going to be a 13. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And it wiped me out. Like it took every, it killed like they were trying to do. It killed everything in my body and took me down to, to death's door. And then they harvested uh, my own stem cells because there was no cancer in my bone marrow. So they were able uh-huh. to harvest my own stem cells. They 
uh, took three days to harvest out of one arm, basically, and they siphon all your blood out. Which arm was it? It was my right arm. Right and then arm. it comes okay. back in my left arm, my okay. right side, left arm. That was, um, and they siphon the blood out. And then the, st- it's crazy medically. What oh, yeah. People, and like the stem cells kind of rise to the top, like the cream to the top. And then they put the blood back in your body. Like, isn't that crazy? Oh, yeah. So they were able to use my own stem cells. And I had two ports at this time in my body, uh, some more surgeries with ports. And they put the stem cells in my body, which only took like 10 minutes, probably. I think I passed out during that. But like the chemo part of it was horrible. And then this actual transplant went really quick. quick. And then that next week was like your body had to accept or or not these Uh cells. And that was a whole nother fight. Grant got real authoritative with the nurses. I kind of remember hallucinating, but I don't remember like being that close to death's door. And then the week after that, I was just recovering. And then I went home and I had to be um, in isolation for a hundred days, like in my bedroom with a germ machine. And like I said, not my girls couldn't come see me. And the only time I could leave was we to were able go. to like call, mm. FaceTime, yeah, talk to FaceTime them. FaceTime was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I knew they were in good hands. And it was funny because at this point, then I was like, I'm just thankful that they're there because I was so sick that I yeah. couldn't take care of them. Mm-hmm. And so I was glad that they were in good hands with family. Um, and so the only time I could leave was be go back to the hospital because right. my body wasn't producing enough red blood cells. So they'd give me some red blood cells that day. Oh, the next day I don't have enough platelets. So they would do, you know, I'm just shaking my head over and over Mm -hmm. because I'm just so sorry. Yeah. There are no words. Mm. Yeah. But obviously you're here. I know that's right now. Mm -hmm. Today you're here. It's, it's the miracle on top of miracle. It really is. Um, after my transplant and recovering from that, I did radiation and then I did some maintenance therapy. And so to kind of sum it up, like I went from stage four cancer where it was literally everywhere in my body on the scans. And I have pictures of those scans, which is crazy too. I've had at this point, I still see my oncologist and my doctor and I'm on like yearly appointments now, which is unheard of because I was like every day for years. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had like 15, like no sign of disease scans. Like that is nothing short of a miracle upon miracle. And what I think is crazy. Yeah. And I think what's crazy though, is I always say it's grace. Like it is like a picture of God's grace because Mm -hmm. I know that there are so many people that have lost a child. And I had a really good friend lose a child at the same time Taylor was healing. And I know that there are so many people that have had cancer affect mm-hmm. their lives or a loved one. And, and I haven't just, made it. Yeah. And I just know that we have been entrusted with such a visual, like earthly picture of God's grace that it's humbling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think the difference is that mine was like painful grace mm-hmm. where Taylor's was like such a quick recovery mm-hmm. and, and a sweet grace. Mine was like a three year battle. For sure. Right. So, yeah. Oh. (laughs) I know. Man. I like that you brought up that last point. I mean, well, first, praise God. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. truly, every day is such a gift. And then the other point that you just brought up, the fact that, yes, you have seen firsthand Mm -hmm. these miracles, um, some that were handed to you and others that you 
worked your tail off for. Right. And again, I don't think that makes it any less authentic of a miracle. Like no. God gives us wisdom. He gives doctors their minds. He leads us step by step. Mm-hmm. But then, like you said, not everyone has had right. that experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I just lost an uncle in January yeah. from cancer mm-hmm. and it just breaks your heart. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we go. Okay. Yes, it is amazing that you were able to recover, but I can't help but think of Lazarus, right? Right. So Mm -hmm. best case scenario after death, Jesus Mm -hmm. raised him from the literal dead. Right. Can you imagine? Uh, Yeah. Taylor. Yes. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. Amazing. He has Mm -hmm. his life back. Right. I mean, all of the friends and family, Mm -hmm. but then you got to think like he still died again. Right. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I think the bigger picture in all of this is not just earthly life, Mm -hmm. but eternal life. Mm -hmm. And it's just grace. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you think? How has your perspective shifted as far as earthly life, eternal life? It's what you think now. It's crazy. I mean, perspective is one thing. Like, I don't think I've ever been like a petty person. Like the petty problems just always kind of irritated me anyway. But now it's like, little things are little and big things are big, you know? Mm -hmm. And I've always been like relationships are so important to me and even more so now just community. And I think that's what could you had community circled around you the best like tribe of people chemo cab and supporting and family and friends my chemo cab. Yeah. I had like this group called chemo cab because I was doing chemo so much that Grant couldn't take me all the time. So I'd have like women, like my friends, like close friends that you would feel comfortable being there with all day that would take me to chemo. And Mm. I thought they'd just drop me off, but no, they stay Mm. and they would, and I'm like sleeping through half of it and they would just stay, you know, like, and the, the crazy thing is the room next door, you would see someone doing chemo all by themselves, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's, um, what's, a big calling too is just community. Like that's Mm -hmm. what Grant and I in a way are called to do in ministry now is life groups and finding community for other people. And I'm amazed how blessed I am with community and how some people don't have that. And I think that um, one thing I remember um, saying was that, you know, I think God will meet you anywhere that's just our God. Like he loves us. He will meet us wherever we are. But when we went through the thing with Taylor, it was like, we were so shocked. Like, how do you go through this? And then when I was diagnosed with cancer and people would offer to do things, I'd be like, uh, yeah, let's, yes, you know, say yes. Mm. And there's a lot of things I just want to say, like when people offer to do things, I think we're so like, I don't want to. Yeah. No, no, no. I got it. I got it. And I want to inconvenience you. And you rob people of them using their spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. I just remember laying in bed and people just looking at me going, oh, you're so strong. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not choosing this. Yeah. But it allowed them to use their gifts. Um, And Mm -hmm. if I would have said, no, I got this, like, Mm -hmm. then they can't use their gift, you know? And so I've learned that like when people want to help you like it's say yes you know that's what community is for and what people need you know oh I bet there's so many things that maybe you didn't take for granted before Mm -hmm. but now I bet you definitely right yeah yeah Yeah, every day is definitely a gift what's crazy um is just that I remember like hope and I think if anybody can hear it too that's going through a dark time and it doesn't have to just be cancer 
or something with their child. It's just hope. And I remember always thinking like there was this versus mentality in my mind of like hope versus reality. Like I have hope, like I have hope in Christ, but it was always a versus like, but the reality of this is pretty hopeless. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. Like the reality is pretty dark. And I remember um, a lady um, mentor that just said, we need to change that versus word and get that out of your vocabulary and change that simple, like, like versus abbreviation to is Yeah, just two small letters changed that for me. And it was like, hope is reality. And we, um, when I, um, at the end made t-shirts that said hope is reality. And I had my tribe, we did a marathon an ovarian cancer run. Um, um, did you run the whole marathon? Oh, yeah. I got second place. Wow, girl. From the end. I beat one, <laughs> one little lady it. at the That's end. That's more than I've done. Right. But passing, um, like going through that finish line and seeing the word finish. Yeah. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Was like such a big deal to see. Like I was finally finished with with chemo and the, mm-hmm. you know, and all that, right. but the hope is reality. And I think mm-hmm. that someone may need to hear that because it doesn't have to be like a medical crisis that you're feeling right now, but you, you that there is reality, but there's also hope mm-hmm. and that hope is reality. Mm-hmm. Like God is bigger, even if it doesn't turn out the mm-hmm. way that you think it's right. going to turn out. And it, I'm guessing that's something you had to come face to face with. Yes. What if I do die? Mm-hmm. Is there still hope? Yeah. I mean, there is. It's crazy because, um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I was told numerous times by doctors and counselors that I wasn't going to make it (laughs) and to prepare the kids and to tell them. And I was like, do you have kids? Because I got all sassy, you know, but there is like, even if I wasn't here, there's hope. Mm-hmm. Like God is good. Like mm-hmm. God is so good. And and this isn't the end. Mm-mm. This world is just a blip on the radar, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. so I think that's one thing that... And as, I think it becomes more real mm-hmm. how much a blip um, time is when you've been that close to death. Mm-hmm. And also, but how real like eternity is too. Yes. When yes. I've, I've been that close to to death, but also my daughter mm-hmm. and through some of her eyes. And then my eyes, like that's, that's where the hope is, yeah. is in eternity. And it makes you think what, I mean, what really even matters on right. this earth? Right. You know, cause it's really few things that mm-hmm. are eternal. And that is like, yeah. you're talking about community mm-hmm. people yeah. are the souls of mm-hmm. mankind. That's eternal. Yeah. God is eternal. The word of God is eternal. Yes. And I can also remember being so sick and so close to eternity. Like I said, when I was coding in the hospital, what mattered, but also like what didn't matter. I think Mm. it was the first time in my life that I didn't worry. I didn't have like shame. I didn't have like anxiety of my mother anxiety or guilt or, you know, all those things that like come back so quickly on this earth. Do you know what I'm saying? Those just problems that what am I going to wear? What am I going to do? Like none of that mattered. Mm-hmm. Like, and here was, you are, no hair and right, skin yeah. and bones. Yes. And you couldn't take care of your kid. Right. Right. But it was also like the biggest time of peace mm. with God. Wow. Which is only a glimpse of what eternity is going to be. Mm-hmm. It's heavy, isn't it? Yeah, I know. We'll have to do one with fun April sometime. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much heaviness. In this short amount of time, we can barely break the surface. Mm-hmm. But 
we're doing our best. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have any resources that either during that time or now right. that you want to pass on? Maybe it's books, podcasts, yeah. scriptures, music, really anything. Right. Yeah. Um, it's so funny because when you're in such those dark, dark times, you just kind of want something light, you know, like, like reality TV makes sense because mm. it was just light and made you feel like good about your crazy. Um, but I will say I'm going through the seamless mm-hmm. Bible study right now with from Angie Smith and it is, um, making the Bible connect and to real life like mm. nowadays. And I love that. And I'm also, it's an oldie, but a goodie, but Francine Rivers, she is a Christian um, novelist, but she does like fiction yeah. novel. And she has this book, um, Lineage of Grace. Yeah. And it's the untold stories of unlikely women who changed eternity. Mm-hmm. And it goes through like Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and Mary and just tells their stories in such a way that's fiction, mm-hmm. but makes the Bible come yes. alive. I love But it's in that. the lineage of Jesus. Love it. Love it. And it made reading the Bible stories about them come alive to me. And I love that. But it was also like light. And Mm -hmm. fresh. Mm -hmm. And then um, a resource that I've been using a lot, which is silly but awesome, is called Voxer. And it's like a walkie talkie app. Mm -hmm. And I have an amazing group of women, like I said, a great tribe, Um, but they live everywhere now. That's just kind of how the world is. And so um, a group of girls that we've walked life together since college are on this and we just kind of talk and communicate and lift each other up in prayer and Mm -hmm. also the silly things of life every day. So that has been a really fun, a practical tool for community. Yes. Love it. Awesome. All right. Well, if you could pass on one final word of encouragement to everyone listening as we head into the week, what would it be? So I remember the first time we took Taylor out in public after she got out of the hospital and she just looked like this bubbly, like cute little blonde haired little girl. And I just remember screaming on the inside thinking people, you do not know, you do not see what I am feeling. And I can remember, um, now sitting at this table with you, like trying to tell you what I went through with cancer and I have my hair back and Mm -hmm. I've got my like mama weight back on and I'm not frail and sick looking. And yet on the inside, I'll be like walking around target and I'm just screaming, thinking people, you do not know know. the Mm -hmm. pain that I've been through. And here I am. And I think it's really given me perspective on Every person has a story and they may be screaming on the inside, just thinking, you don't know that I've lost my child or you don't know that I just lost my job. You know, like you just Mm -hmm. don't know what I'm screaming on the inside. And I just think my perspective is really sensitive Mm -hmm. now to people's stories and what they're going through, but also knowing that like God knows, Mm -hmm. like God knows our stories. He's helping us write those stories and he is there while we're screaming and while we're laughing through those stories. Man, it gives us perspective, you know. He's just so much bigger. Yeah, this isn't the end Mm -hmm. of the story. Yeah. Thank you, April. Aw, thank you. Well, no matter if you happen to be facing cancer or the ordinary chaos of life, hope isn't just some fleeting, empty wish. Hope is reality. Paul described it best in Romans 15, 13. He said, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, if you're interested in hearing more stories that prevailed against all odds, you should totally check out episode 40 with Lauren Chandler and episode 9 with Allie Wieg. 
or if you've already walked through the devastating heartbreak of losing someone you love. First of all, I'm so sorry. And secondly, I pray that episode 49 with Jenny Lesko or episode 42 with Rachel Leslie will help you remember you are not alone. As always, you can find all these resources mentioned in the conversation notes on my website at jenjewel.com slash the messy table podcast, where you can join my personal email list and be the first to know when new episodes come out. You can also find us on Instagram, subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and better yet, share this life-giving story with a friend. We also love to hear your thoughts on social media, or if you're willing, we appreciate every single review that's left for us in iTunes. And as always, we are truly honored you joined us as you head back out into your week and into your summer. Remember, yes, life is messy, but God is at work in your mess.